0: The world is overwhelmed with choice. We all like choice, yet at the same time, it paralyzes us. Too little choice and we complain. I don't know how many of you have ever been to a posh restaurant. You know when you go and there's maybe only three or four dishes on the menu, and the top two, they don't really take your fancy, but then neither does the third one. Neither does the sautéed foie gras and roasted veal sweetbreads served with carrots, almonds, and Cabernet Sauvignon vinegar. So what do you do? It feels like a nightmare. But then, just as we said, too much choice is paralyzing. I'm sure, as most families know, choosing a film is one of the most difficult and bitterly fought discussions you can have. Everyone likes different genres, different amounts of action or violence. Some like comedy, Some prefer thrillers. The list of categories and subcategories goes on and on and on. And today in our psalm, we're going to be faced with a choice, with two options. Today we are in Psalm 1, and we're going to see that when it comes to God, when it comes to how we react to him and to his law, there is only two ways to proceed. And this psalm, along with Psalm 2, that we're going to look at next week, it sets up the rest of the book of psalms. They act as a bit of a warning and a challenge to us as readers of the Psalms to make sure that we have committed to the right choice, to the right way, to make sure we've committed to God and his law before we go on reading. Well, let's dive in and see what these options are. So firstly, we're going to look at the blessed life. Just look down at verse 1 with me. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. The first thing we read in these verses is about the one, or maybe a better translation, the man with a blessed life. In the Bible, there is a couple of different ways people can be blessed. Firstly, uh, God can say a blessing; he can give it to a, a one person or maybe a group of people, like Israel. The second kind of blessing is uh, one person to another, telling each other that you will be blessed if dot dot dot. If you do this, you will have blessing or in the case of Psalm 1, if you don't do this, you can have this blessed life. And as we look at the start of verse one, it doesn't say blessed is the king, or the scholar, or the postgraduate, but blessed is the man. You see, this life of blessing is open to all. It's not an exclusive bracket for exclusive people. And the second helpful thing to make a note of is that the word blessing here can also uh, be mean things like to be straight or to be right. And this is going to be helpful later as we think about what blessing actually means. But firstly, what does this blessed life, what does this blessed man actually look like? Look down at verse 1 again with me. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. You see, you see the character of this blessed man in three negative terms. And each time the picture is stronger with each negative statement, we see a progression of sinful behavior, a spiraling downwards. Throughout this passage, we see the contrast of the blessed man versus the wicked, the sinners and the mockers. You see, we read that he doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, and he doesn't sit with these people. It might be helpful for us to think he doesn't think, behave, or belonged like these people. So firstly, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This man does not seek counsel, he doesn't look for advice, he doesn't look for wisdom from wicked people. And by wicked here, we aren't talking about the Adolf Hitlers, the Nero's, the extreme people. You see, the word wicked, as well as sinners and mockers in the Bible, is used to describe people who aren't God's people people who are living in rebellion to God, people who aren't obeying his law. So the blessed man doesn't want counsel with those who rebel against God. The blessed man doesn't listen to songs that make sin sound appealing. He doesn't spend time with that friend who makes him do questionable things. But if this man does get counsel, then he'll always judge it against the word of God. See, that's the lens that this blessed man looks at the world through. He doesn't think like they think because he looks through the word of God. But you see, it isn't just thinking like them. Spending time with these people is dangerous. Sin is progressive. There have been many studies to show how we imitate those around us. That if we spend enough time with people, we pick up their traits and elements of their character. I've noticed it myself in the last year. I spent a lot of time with Liam, and I'm becoming more like him. Our wardrobes are merging. (laughs) We even ended up with the same hairdresser last week. You see, the conclusion of this is that we become like those we hang around with. If we hang around with wicked people who live in rebellion to God, then we're in danger of becoming like them. And the psalmist, he knows this, because in the next line, just look down with me, There is no sense of a passing thought like the wicked. Rather, we now have a purposeful stance with sinners. Just look down, it says the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not stand where they stand. You see, the path, the direction that the sinners take is alien to this blessed man. And that's more radical than probably it first sounds. You see, we live in a fallen world, don't we? The majority of people aren't living for God. The majority of people are living against God and against his people. The stance of the sinner is the norm of society. It's going with the flow, it's going with culture. So to stand against this, that is radical. But notice again how at first it was walking and now it's standing. Settling into sin is not um, always sudden, it's actually often slow. As Christians, we often settle into sinful patterns in stages, once merely walking nearby, now standing in their midst. But remember, the blessed man does not behave in the same way as these people. He's different to these wicked people. You see, the blessed man stands out because he doesn't follow the crowd, he doesn't follow the culture, He doesn't go with the latest trends because he goes with the Lord. He follows the Lord. He doesn't need to follow the crowd because he follows the Lord. He follows God. And that is something we'll think more of in a minute. Thirdly, look down at verse one again with me. This blessed man also does not sit in the seat of mockers. You see, the progression of sin, that spiraling down that we were talking about has climaxed here. There's no battle anymore with sin. It's not a decision whether he's gonna sin or not. This person is now sat down, he's given up, and he's joining in the mockery. Now note with me that the mockers here are most likely people who love to criticize and hate God's people. They laugh at and put down those who follow God. You see, this isn't mockery of something random, no. It's a purposeful abuse and attack, a verbal attack on God's people. These mockers are the missionaries of the wicked. But like we said before, that's the majority of our culture, is it not? Mocking or scoffing others just seems to be part and parcel of everyday life, even sometimes, sadly, in the church. Often we look at people and think, well, that guy is a bit weird, isn't he? I mean, he goes to church every week. He goes to both services. He doesn't ever watch movies rated 15 or above. And he's that guy that always drives in the middle lane on the motorway between 68 and 70. I mean, mocking that guy, that's, that's justified, right? Maybe if I just call it banter, then no one will notice. You see, mockers, they laugh at those who obey God. You see, the blessed man he doesn't think that's the right course of action. He doesn't sit on the proud seat of arrogant mocking. He doesn't belong to that group of people because he belongs to God's people. And not only this, he's not ashamed of God's people. He doesn't laugh at God's people. Rather, he loves them and he's proud to be one of them. So we've seen what this blessed man isn't, what his life isn't like. We've seen that he does not think, he does not behave, and he does not belong to the wicked, sinful, mocking people. But what is this man positively like? What defines him? What defines his life? Well, look down at verse two with me. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Let me ask you a question. What do you delight in? What do you find that deep-rooted joy in? I think a good way to judge what you delight in is think about what makes you happy. Maybe it's family Maybe it's sport and watching England win. Maybe it's Christmas or Easter or roast dinners with the family. You see, in contrast to all these worldly things, the blessed man delights in God's word. That's what the blessed man loves. That's what he's excited about. That's what gets him up in the morning is God's law. At the end of verse two, we're told he just loves to read it and think about it and soak it up. Look down with me. It says, on his law, he meditates when? Day and night. Day and night. And now when it says law, it doesn't just mean uh, the Ten Commandments or the book of Leviticus, but it means all of God's word. And specifically in this context, it probably meant the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. You see, this man meditates on God's law, And he delights in it. His joy is found in reading God's word. And when it says meditation, again, don't be confused. Don't think that he sits there, cross-legged, making strange humming noises. That's not what it means. It means that day and night, he thinks about what God has said to him in the Bible. He meditates on and ponders on how it should be changing his life each day and he's more and more astounded by it. Every day he realizes there's new treasures to be found by digging deep into God's word. He'd be the kind of church member that went away after a Sunday and read over his notes. Who maybe listened back to the sermon and delighted in what he heard and tried to put it into practice. You see, this man doesn't think, behave, or belong with those wicked people because he has something so much better he doesn't need the counsel of the wicked when he has God's word and God's people he doesn't need to take the path that sinners take when God's law instructs him and guides him and why would he sit with the mockers when he has found his delight and his pleasure and his joy in God's word and knowing God better And I was challenged as I was studying this this week to think about how do we react to God's word? Let me ask you today, are you delighting in God's word? Do you love to come here on a Sunday and are you desperate to hear what God is saying through his word that week? Are we spending time in the week really thinking hard and meditating on how we're gonna change in light of what we have heard? I know I don't do this enough, as we begin to delight in God's word, our hunger will grow for the word. We won't ever feel that chore of opening the Bible. We won't feel that sense of duty. Rather, we'll find that delight and the privilege of hearing God speak to us. But what else do we learn about this blessed man? We've seen a lot about his character, but what is his life like? Look down again with, at verse three with me. He is like a tree Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You see, this whole picture is quite beautiful, isn't it? I love uh, trees. Sounds a bit weird, but I do love trees, and I think, especially in autumn, they look beautiful and amazing. And the tree described here in Psalm 1 is no different. It's a tree that's been planted right next to a stream. It has everything it needs to keep alive and well fed. Just look down, it's a tree that never loses its leaf and it always produces fruit. But what is this telling us about the blessed man's life? You see, well, the word uh, planted gives us this picture that this tree has been taken from somewhere and planted somewhere else. It's been planted in this place of abundance, this place of refuge by the stream. And this picture is actually used throughout the Old Testament to describe Israel, and especially their exodus, their movement from Egypt when God rescued them into the promised land where they could serve and obey God. You see, it's about people who've been taken from a rebellious life to a life about obeying God. You see, the blessed life starts by being taken out of rebellion to be taken by the stream. The blessed life is only possible by being one of God's people. See, blessing in Psalm 1 can be defined as being straight or right with God, as we mentioned earlier. The reason this man is blessed is because he can live with God as his king. By meditating on his word, he learns how to love God properly, how to live his life under him with God as king. And that kind of serves as a summary for the whole of the book of Psalms. You see, the book of Psalms kind of serves as an instruction book for those who desire to live as God's people, as a faithful Israelite. People who were taken from that old rebellious life in Egypt to this new life, a life where we can delight in God's word, a life where we can bear fruit, as the passage tells us. But again, it leaves us with a question. What does it mean to bear fruit? Well, if we flick to the New Testament in John 15, Jesus talks about remaining in him so that we can bear fruit. This blessed man bears fruit in season, and his leaf never withers. You see, the fruit that this man bears is righteousness. You see, as he meditates on God's word, as he lets it change him, he bears fruit. He becomes more like Jesus. He becomes Christ-like. And it's cyclical. As he bears more fruit, he takes more delight in the word that changed him. So he reads it more. He studies it more, he delves into it deeper. You see, becoming more godly, becoming more like Jesus is an active process. So it makes sense to say that if we're not delighting in God's word, then we can only be growing stale, we can only be going backwards, away from Jesus. Again, there are only two choices presented in the psalm. Active pursuit of righteousness or the drifting of sinfulness. But what about that last bit of verse three? Just look at it with me. It says, whatever he does, prospers. Whatever he does, prospers. Rightfully, this probably sounds very alien to us and a bit foreign to our experiences as Christians. You see, surely this can't mean that this man has some kind of golden touch. Surely God isn't actually telling us here that life with him is a life of constant prosperity, that whatever we do prospers. Well, no, I don't think it's prosperity in the way that we often think about prosperity. You see, this isn't one of those get-rich-quick schemes with the gospel in small print. To help us, just look down at verse 6, where it says this. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The prosperity the man has is not material gains and riches. He's not made it in this life but it is the prosperity of living as someone who is under God's rule. Being someone planted by the streams of waters. It says that God watches over the way of his people, for the way of the wicked will perish. It's fruitless. The wicked will toil for nothing. You see, the way that we flourish in this world is by living as the Creator tells us to. We're gonna prosper best by living how God tells us to, as we live in God's world, God's way. And that serves as a good summary for this first section about the blessed life. You see, the blessed man lives his life not like the sinners, not like the wicked, not like the mockers, but he spends his life as one who meditates on God's word, getting to know and love God better. And becoming to love life under his rule. He's been taken out of a life of rebellion and rejection of God. And now is living as one of his chosen people. But what about if we don't love God in his word? What can we expect then? Well we can expect the complete opposite of the blessed life. And that's going to be our second point. The wicked life. The wicked life. Look down at verse 4 with me. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Straight away the picture in verse 4 is of stark contrast to what we've just had, in stark contrast to this living tree planted by streams of water. Just look at verse four, not so the wicked. The author of the psalm is telling us everything that was true of the blessed man is not true of this wicked man. They do not delight in God's law. They do not delight in his word. You see, they think and behave and belong to those mockers and sinners we thought about earlier. The wicked are the opposite of the blessed. They are like the chaff that is blown away in the wind. You see, they don't have the deep roots that they need. They don't have the sustenance of the stream. If you're wondering what chaff is, they used to throw wheat in the air and the chaff was the useless bit that just blew away. It's not worth anything, it's chucked out, it's got rid of. Charles Spurgeon, the 18th century preacher, said chaff was intrinsically worthless, dead, unserviceable, without substance, and easily carried away. Isn't the picture here so unattractive when it's put right next to that tree that flourishes in season, that tree that always bears fruit? You see, the chaff is a picture of the futile life of rebellion against God. It's about the worthlessness of not loving God and his word but trying to forge our own paths in this world. And this is seen even more clearly in Psalm 2, where we can see that God scoffs. He literally laughs at the rebellion because it's so ridiculous to think that we could stand against him, that chaff could stand against the God of the universe. Because we know it can't. Look at verse five with me. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You see, God might laugh at man's attempt to rebel against him, to think that they can overthrow him, to think they can overpower him. But God takes their actions very, very seriously. The wicked will not escape judgment. There will be consequences for people who don't live God's way in God's word, for people who don't live with God as king, for people who ignore God's law. And we see two of these consequences in verse five. Firstly, when God brings the day of judgment, they will not stand. Like the chaff that we just thought about, that worthless and serviceable chaff, they're gonna be blown away. We thought about John 15 earlier where Jesus talks about bearing fruit. But in that passage, Jesus also says those who do not bear fruit will be picked up and thrown into the fire. When judgment comes, the wicked, these sinners, these mockers, are going to be found guilty. They've delighted in the creation and not the creator. And the second consequence is in the last part of verse 5. Just look at it down. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, and nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Sinners will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. Of the righteous. Exclusion is a horrible thing. Whether you are excluded from a team or a group, whether you've been excluded from conversations or parties, I think we all know that being on the outside, missing out, not being invited, is an awful experience. So when the psalmist tells us that they will not stand in the assembly of the righteous, that someone is going to be excluded from this, then we know that it must be a terrible thing. It's telling us that people will be on the outside of God's great kingdom. They won't be able to experience the new creation with all its blessings. They won't look forward to an eternal life with God forever. And this is a massive warning here in Psalm 1. It's a massive warning to those people who aren't trusting God, who don't delight in Him, but are living for this world. When the judgment comes, you will not stand. You will ultimately be found to be outside of God's kingdom. Being a Christian can often feel like exclusion, can't it? Because we don't often behave or think like those around us. But you see, one day, those who look like they're on the outside, the ones pushed out to the margins of society, they will be shown to be on the inside. Please do not be caught thinking that you are fine when really you aren't trusting in God. Well, we've seen the two options. We've seen the blessed man and his way of life. And we've seen the way of the wicked. So we're going to be left with the choice. The choice. Look down at verse six with me. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. We said right at the beginning that as a culture, we have a weird love-hate relationship with choice. We love to have it, but then often we're overwhelmed. Well, here today, we're faced with two choices, maybe a good medium, a 50-50. And verse 6 is a helpful summary to what we've seen throughout this psalm. Firstly, note that the blessed life is also known as the way of the righteous. The way of those who are right, they're justified before God. These people have and and enjoy a relationship with him. And their sin has somehow been dealt with. These rebellious people have somehow come in. Secondly, note that the Lord watches over the righteous. He watches over his people. And the Lord is God's covenant name. And the covenant was where in the Old Testament, he promised to gather a people to himself, he promised to deal with this people's sin, and he promised to reverse the curse of Genesis 3. So anytime we read the Lord in capital letters in our Bibles, it should take us back to God's great promises. The righteous have the Lord of the Bible watching over them. They are the God who made the universe and everything in it on their side. He will keep them to the end. You see, those righteous people are those trees planted next to stream, streams of water? Sorry. They're going to be gathered in the assembly of the righteous, but not so the wicked. Look at verse six again. "The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When I was thinking about this verse, I thought about how many of my friends say things to me like, don't all roads lead to God or heaven, eternal life? Won't we all get there some way or another? If we're good enough, won't God just accept us as we are? Well, Psalm 1 is very clear. There's only two paths. There's the way of the wicked, later talked about by Jesus as the broad path the one that many, many people take, but the one that leads to destruction. The way of the wicked will perish. God tells us so clearly that we need to live with him as king. We need to be one of his people. But the question I think we're left with is how? How can I be one of God's people? How can I become one of the righteous, those justified before God? I don't know about you, but when I read this psalm, I feel like I'm more like the wicked man. The wicked life sounds more like my life. So how can I, a horrible sinner, be in that assembly of the righteous? But look at verse one. As I said earlier, it tells us blessed is the man, or blessed is the one. You see, the only true blessed man, the only man that this psalm can be referring to is Jesus. Who is the only one who never thought how the wicked thought? Who is the only one to never behave like a sinner? Who is the only one to not sit on that proud seat and mock God's people? Well, it was Jesus. Yet it was also this Jesus who faced the thoughts and accusations of sinful and wicked people. It was Jesus who was branded a sinner and a blasphemer, It was Jesus who was mocked and scorned and killed. The innocent one, the only blessed one, the only one who really loved God and his law wholeheartedly was killed so that by his death he could bring wicked, sinful, mocking people into that assembly of the righteous. He took God's anger against the wicked so we don't have to. How do we get off the road of the wicked and join that assembly of the righteous? Well, it's by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection. The choice is clear. We can choose to carry on living life our own way. The way that we're told so clearly will perish. The people who go down that road, they're not going to stand in the day of judgment. They won't be found in the assembly of the righteous or we can trust in this blessed man. We can trust in the one who gave his life so we could come into that assembly. If you know you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then please do not go away from here without doing so. Nothing is more important than this choice. Nothing is more important than being forgiven by God and restored into right relationship with him. Or maybe you're here and you are trusting Jesus. But the good news is, this blessed life is now ours. We can be people who delight in God's law. We can be people who delight in God's words. We can and should be meditating on it day and night. As Christians, we can put sin to death. We can kill this wicked life and live the life that God has saved us for. And we can live life knowing that the Lord is watching over us. What a great life this is, and what a great gospel we have to tell. You see, we need not be ashamed of this gospel, but reminded of how great news it is that rebellious people can come into the assembly of the righteous. Well, let me finish with these two uh, passages found in Isaiah, and they just talk about Jesus, about his innocent death, so that we could be in the assembly of the righteous. Just listen to these words as we close. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had no, done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus, the blessed man, died so we could have that right relationship with God, so we could be in the assembly of the righteous. Let me ask you, are you in that assembly? Are you telling people, of the gospel that brings forgiveness? Are you meditating on the very words of God? Let's pray together.